0: You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, good morning. You guys are getting so much better at that. Even when Heath's not there, I feel like we could we could still hold a good 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 morning, right? How are you? you? Ah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome if you're new to Risen Life Fellowship. We're we're just thrilled that you've you've come to worship with us this morning. So um, we hope that you feel welcome. Um, Last week we we took a little break from our study through John, took a little break through our <laughs> from our study through John and uh, Stephen came and, and shared the word and shared of, of some of the mission and and the, the some of the vision of our church <clears throat> as we're just trying to be obedient uh, to God's word with what he's entrusted to us here, you know, that's always been. Mine and Stephen's goal is just to be, we just want to be obedient to the Lord with what he's entrusted uh, to us, and uh, you know, let me just share how thankful I am for God calling Stephen to labor alongside me um, in trying to shepherd this church, you know, we're, we are really blessed at at Risen Life to have his leadership, and uh, he's not even looking at me, he can't, he's so embarrassed right now, but uh, I can't look at him either, it's just too much, (laughs) <laughs> no, but really, you guys—you'll never, you'll never know, you know, much of what Stephen does behind the scenes every, each and every week. I mean, um, to try to lead us faithfully, you know, you see me a lot more in this role, but but it's it's such a blessing to sometimes see Stephen up here in this role and and leading us in in the Word uh, systematically. So, uh, thank you, Stephen, for for. For preaching last week and um, and this morning we are going to be back in John and we're gonna be in chapter 9 if you want to be turning there love to hear those pages turn right this is my son's first Sunday in big church he's five now and so you'll hear from him today I'm sure So John chapter 9 and all of chapter 9 and, and really bleeding over into chapter 10 uh, focuses on Jesus healing a man who was born blind and, um, and the interaction and the teaching really that follows that, that healing. And uh, this healing of, of, of this blind man is the sixth of seven specific signs that John details for us in his gospel prior to Christ's crucifixion. Of course, the resurrection is in itself a, a miracle, right? And there's one more miracle that he does after the resurrection as well um, in, in John's gospel. But before the crucifixion, this is number six of seven of of, of the uh, works that Jesus does. Although John does give us a caveat at the end of the book, right? He, um, in the final chapter of, of John, he, he tells us that if... Uh, if all the works that Jesus did were written books, written in books, the world could not even contain it. Right. So the, the works that Jesus did were just so numerous that if if they were written down, uh, the world couldn't even contain the amount of books, um, which is unbelievable. Really, it's hard to imagine the miracles that were going on through Christ's ministry. Um, John makes that statement, but also. Matthew and, and Luke both make statements that indicate that, that Jesus essentially almost eradicated disease in Israel during his ministry. I mean, everyone that would come to him, uh, it seems like he would, he would heal them. Great multitudes after great multitudes after great multitudes would come to him and he would just heal them one by one by one. it's hard for us to imagine the type of healing uh, that was going on uh, which is why the Pharisees had to address Jesus. Right? They had to do something with Jesus. And that's kind of what Jesus does with us too. right? You, you've got to do something with him. You, you can't just ignore Jesus. You have to do something with Jesus. You can call him crazy if you want. But you can't say he didn't exist. You can't say that his life didn't have a huge impact on this world. You've got to do something with him. You can't say that people don't believe that he rose from the dead. You've got to do something with Jesus, and the Pharisees found themselves in that, that position. And so far, we've seen their absolutely stubborn unbelief, right? It doesn't matter what they see. They are still not going to believe that this is the Son of God. And we're going to see it again later in this chapter. But, but here we have the sixth uh, miraculous sign that John details for us. And, and we're not going to get very far into it this morning, because uh, Jesus, through this interaction, he pauses to give us a brief theology of suffering in this chapter uh, before he works this miracle. And and that's going to be our, our focus this morning, Christ's work in suffering. Christ's work in suffering. And so we're going to go ahead and read the, the entire account of the miracle itself, which is only 12 verses. So if you, you'll stand with me, we're going to read uh, John 9, <clears throat> John 9, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. We must work the works of God, works of him who sent me while it is the day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he, had seen, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen uh, that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church body, Lord, this church family. Um, and, and the fact that we, that we get to worship together, Lord, here freely. And, uh, we just give you praise and honor for that, God. And As we open your word, will you just teach us, Father? Will you uh, move me out of the way in my inadequacies, Lord? Will you just remove all distractions? Remove me from this, Lord, my my own self, Lord, and just speak through me, Father. Just speak through me to your people on what we need to hear. I pray that hearts would be encouraged and challenged this morning. And that if there's one that doesn't know you, um, that today would be the day that they would surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. All right, so obviously uh, this is... Another absolutely supernatural, unbelievable miracle performed by Jesus. Uh, the, you know, the Bible just says these miracles like so nonchalantly. But that, did you see what happened here? A man who was born blind. He's blind from birth. He's an adult now, seemingly. And he receives sight for the first time. He can see. It's an amazing, amazing miracle. And it's a miracle that really was unprecedented. Uh, that is... This was not a miracle that um, a miracle like this was not in the Old Testament. You won't find this in the Old Testament. Jesus heals several blind men uh, in in the New Testament. But this was never recorded previously um, where an individual is used by God to give another individual sight who was born blind. It's never recorded in, in the Old Testament and um, this is something that was prophesied in Isaiah 42, 7. That healing blindness would be a sign that, of the Messiah's coming. So this is another sign of the Messiah's coming. So yet another proof of Jesus' specialness, right? His, his Messiahship and His deity. And, you know, this miracle is, is, a, is also a wonderful picture of what salvation looks like. as That, that song, Amazing Grace... It uh, says, right, I, I once was blind, but now I what now I see. Yeah, I once was blind, but now I see that is how it is when we come to Christ spiritually. Right. And and we'll talk more about that probably throughout this this chapter. But Jesus also uses it as an opportunity to teach his disciples and us about suffering. Um, suffering is a, a universal human condition right? we all have uh, things that we suffer with not all of us deal with the suffering of of, of being blind from birth um, but all of us will experience some some type of, of suffering in our lives uh, in fact jesus promises suffering to us in the bible john sixteen thirty three, he says these things i've spoken to you that in me you may have peace what a beautiful promise. But then he says, in, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What a wonderful, beautiful verse. That's a verse to cling to, by the way. That's a, that is a verse you're going to want to memorize and cling to when the suffering comes. In that verse, Jesus promises that we will have Tribulation and also that he wants us to have somehow peace through the tribulation, knowing that he has overcome the world. But he does promise that tribulation will come. Suffering will come and it will come in various forms. It seems like I preach about suffering um, a lot. And the reason is because as you teach expositionally through books of the Bible, suffering comes up. A lot. It is all over scripture. In fact, it's in every single New Testament book. It talks about suffering. Every single New Testament book. It's universal and it is to be expected in our lives. I don't know how the prosperity, the health and wealth teachers um, can even avoid the reality of suffering in scripture, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they just ignore the suffering. It's all over the place, and I think it's all over the place because number one, um, in the first century, especially for Christians, suffering was was so extremely prevalent. Um, we, we've talked about at length how many of the early followers of Christ, uh, who laid the foundation of the church upon the gospel of Christ, they they were not only uh, persecuted. But, but murdered for Christ. by uh, Being a Christian, on top of, of all the normal heartaches and headaches of life, also invited persecution into the equation, especially early on in the church. I mean, invited persecution into your life. But you know, I, I also think it's written um, in so many places because we as believers, we need constant reminders of God's goodness Through suffering. We just sang about the goodness of God. Well is that true in suffering? Yes or no? Is that true when life is falling apart? Is he still good? We need constant reminders. That he is good. Even in the midst of your heartache. Your suffering. And so let's look at Christ's work. In suffering. And, And first of all. I want you to notice Christ's Compassion. To the sufferer. Christ's compassion on the sufferer. Remember that as we wrapped up chapter 8, uh, Jesus has just finished a tremendously volatile interaction with the Pharisees at the temple. Um, so volatile, in fact, that at the end of chapter 8, you're going to read that last verse of chapter 8, and they've they've picked up stones to throw at him. And it says that he escaped out of the temple. Uh, He escaped out of the temple and he passed by, just like that. Uh, That's all it says. I don't know what happened there, but he escaped out of the temple and he passed by. Now chapter 9 opens that as Jesus passed by, he saw. As Jesus passed by. So from how it reads, uh, I don't see any gap here in time. Now there may have been a gap there in time, but I don't see it. It's not the way it reads to me. Jesus is escaping death. Okay, he's just had to run from for his life. Um, I don't know about you, but I think I'd be in a hurry. Right, there's people trying to throw rocks at me to kill me. I think I would be in a hurry. I don't believe I would be stopping until I reach the next house in a, in, or the next, the next town in a locked house, where I, but maybe behind like two or three locks, right? So I know the Pharisees can't get me here. There might be other important things going on. But the only thing I'd be concerned with is, you know, not getting hit with that rock. Not getting stoned to death. And yet Jesus. Sees this sufferer. And he stops to interact with this sufferer. I'm so unlike that. I am so unlike that I must confess to you this morning in fact I'm usually so busy or I have so much on my mind that I can barely notice anyone or anything going on around me in the store for instance I you know I get so caught up I'm just like can I just get in here and get out right man is that not what we can we do we just not just want to let me I got my list let me just go through the list and get out of here get back to work or whatever you know whatever I'm doing Um, I'm usually so caught up with that i don't think i would notice if the store was on fire okay let alone let alone maybe a, a sufferer that that's standing by right? like someone that that is obviously uh, suffering i don't know that i would notice in many cases but jesus is perhaps running from for his life here and that may not be the exact sequence here we, we're not really told but it, it looks like it but it's safe to say that Jesus is a busy man. Yeah. Jesus' attention is wanted in many places. And yet he stops. He notices. And he offers himself to this beggar. To this blind man. He offers himself. Now the disciples are just as insensitive as ever here. I mean they are just unbelievably insensitive. First I'm sure they didn't want to stop. Okay. This man and his suffering was totally insignificant to them and you can tell that by their, their insensitive question which we'll explore more in a moment but he said they say they see this blind man and their question is who sinned jesus Wait, did this guy sin this guy must have screwed up really bad or maybe his parents did right i mean come on tell us what it is somebody sinned here that's their question um this is like classic what not to say to the sufferer, like what not to say to the sufferer. Hey, did you really screw up? Is that why you're in that position? Have you sinned greatly? Did your maybe your parents sin? You know, I, I heard one commentator say the, the man was blind, but he wasn't deaf. Right. I mean, he could hear what they were saying here and they're totally insensitive to this man's suffering. They don't care. About the suffering. They care about the reason. My question to you is. Which one describes you more? The disciples. Uninterested in the sufferer. Too busy to notice. The sufferer. Insensitive about the cause of the suffering. Or Jesus who stops. Stops what he's doing. He notices the sufferer. He spends time. With the sufferer, he engages with the sufferer. Nothing else is more important to Jesus in that moment than the sufferer. And he's running for his life. True compassion. You know, we as believers, we need to make a habit of recognizing suffering going on around us. I just confess to you, I I don't enough. We need to make a habit of recognizing the suffering going on around us and approaching suffering with compassion. Many times we see a sufferer and we just kind of turn the other way. One, because I I don't know what to say. What do I say to the sufferer? We we just don't know exactly what to say and we're awkward and we know it's going to be a weird interaction. Like, What do I say in that moment, Jesus? And we often say things wrong, don't we? We often say the wrong things to the sufferer. Hopefully you're not as insensitive as the disciples here. You know, why'd you sin? Like, that's why you broke your leg, you doofus. Hopefully that's not you. Um, But sometimes we do say the wrong thing. Words are hard to find when someone's suffering, right? And thank goodness a lot of sufferers out there will show grace for that will show grace and they'll appreciate the gesture, even though maybe you don't have the exact words. Guys, it's not about having the exact words. Okay, it's about showing compassion for those around us who are hurting. And they're suffering. Well, some people are really gifted in this. Some of you may have that gift of just mercy, you know. And you are great at showing mercy in a time of suffering. But you know what? Every one of us are called to this ministry. Not just those that are good at it. Every one of us are called to show mercy, to show compassion, to show grace on the sufferer, to bear one another's burdens, to care about suffering. But let's not just leave this asking how we can act towards the sufferer. I want us also to just bask for a moment in Christ's great love for the sufferer. And if you're suffering this morning, I hope that's a comfort to you. It seems like God should have more important things to do than to be concerned with my suffering. You know, my little suffering seems a little insignificant, considering all that Creator God has going on, right? It seems insignificant, and yet He loves us so deeply. He has such compassion in our suffering, whatever it may be. He wants to stop and to draw near to us in our suffering. This is the testimony all over God's word. We have such a personal, intimate God who loves to love on his children. He loves to love on his children just as any loving Father, and even deeper than we could even imagine. God loves to love on His children. His love and compassion, it is foundational to having a biblical understanding of suffering. Okay, you cannot miss this first point, or the second point you just throw away. You cannot miss the first point about the compassion that God has shown towards us and that he shows each and every day in our suffering. It is foundational to a biblical understanding of suffering. You're going to need to remember that during the middle of your storm, which is coming. Maybe you just got out of a storm. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm. Maybe a storm is coming, but there are storms, people. There are storms. And we must remember that he loves us beyond measure. So much so that He left all glory and honor to come here. To take on human flesh, to wash feet, to serve others, to bear patiently with people. Like He's still hanging around these disciples. He bears patiently with us to sit with sinners and ultimately to be rejected by them on a nationwide scale. Spat upon, beaten, hung naked on a cross. Suffered the the absolute embarrassment. An embarrassment that you can't even imagine. We must remember the compassion of Jesus in the midst of our suffering. He loves us more than we can imagine. He is our advocate. He's our intercessor to the father he is our comforter through his promises he's gone to prepare a place for us where we can be with him someday where pain cannot touch us any longer where tragedy cannot touch you any longer or suffering cannot touch you any longer he has gone to prepare that place for us He cares about what you're going through more perfectly than any human can care. You know, we screw it up with our words sometimes. Even if we we care, but we just don't say the right thing sometimes. Boy, Jesus knows the exact right thing to say. He's so present in our suffering. And He offers for us to draw near to Him. He offers for us to press into Him during our suffering, and He promises to help us overcome, and He promises to give us peace. We can't forget this foundational point: what what compassion Christ has toward the sufferer. And secondly, I want us to consider Christ's purpose in suffering. <clears throat> he has compassion on the sufferer, but he also has a purpose in suffering. So here's the disciples being very helpful as usual. They ask their brilliant question to Jesus in front of this suffering blind beggar. Who sinned, Jesus? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? I mean, how insensitive can you be? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But we, I'd probably do the same thing if I was there. I'd probably do the same thing because what does that tell us about the theology of suffering in first century Judaism? The assumption is individual sin. Like that is the assumption in their question is that sin, this man's sin or this parent's sin caused this man's suffering. That's, that, that's, that's all it could be, Jesus. Has to be somebody's sin. Something bad happens to you, therefore you must have sinned. Maybe your parents sinned. What a comfort to the the sufferer, right? What a comfort. How beautiful disciples, yes. This is why sufferers like this man were often cast out of Jewish life. He's a beggar, right? Nobody's taking care of him. We'll see later that even his parents don't seem to care too much. We'll see that later in this chapter. I think that's the reason for the insensitivity of the disciples. They've been trained to think that this suffering is a result of this man's sin. So he doesn't deserve my respect or my help because he's a sinner. Terrible. The rabbis taught this. In fact, some even taught that you could sin in your mother's womb. You could sin in your mother's womb. And the evidence of that, of course, would be a baby who kicks a lot. So my my kids were terrible sinners. Actually, Jonah was a terrible sinner. Judah, not as much. Because Jonah was kicking a lot, I think. Is that right, honey? Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, Jonah kicked a lot. So he, I mean, he was all over the place with his sin life. Judah, a little bit better. A little less sin for him. How ridiculous, right? How ridiculous that you could sin in the womb. But all suffering for in Jewish life was about individual sin. And if we aren't careful, we can kind of fall into that same theology. We see a homeless man and we think, what do we think? Anybody want to say how, what you think? He's on, He's on drugs, perhaps. Ah, I wonder how he got in this situation. wonder how this happened to him. Hmm, must be a bad boy. Is that not our response sometimes? To suffering around us? How insensitive we can sit here and point our finger at the disciples, and then every day you see a beggar on the street, and what do you do? What do I do? I wonder how that happened. We need to recognize not just the disciples' insensitivity, but our own. Our own insensitivity. Now, is it true? Is this sin thing, is it true? Is it good theology that sin causes suffering? Well, the Bible would proclaim that all suffering, all disease, all death, is a result of, guess what? Sin in general. It is a result of sin in general. We live in a fallen world since Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. There was a curse With that sin. Understand God made the world perfect. No suffering. No death. And the moment that they sinned. Is the moment that suffering and death entered in. So in that sense. Suffering is due to sin. All suffering. However. This is talking about. An individual's sin. Sin. Leading to a specific suffering. That's a little different, right? Jesus doesn't deny that that even happens sometimes. He doesn't really correct the disciples. Overall theology there. That sometimes. uh, Suffering is a result of an individual's sin. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes our suffering is a direct result of our sin, a direct result of our individual rebellion towards God in a particular situation. One example of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul warns the believers not to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, not to partake with sin in your heart. And that's why when we do the Lord's Supper, we always give that warning. Because he says, for this reason, some are sick among you. And some even are dead. An indication that for some people in that church at least, their partaking unworthily resulted in their sickness. Another example in the New Testament would be Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody remember those guys? In Acts? Didn't end well for them. They lie about withholding. Some of their money that was for the church. And God killed them. Pretty extreme suffering. First act of church discipline. In the New Testament was that. How about that? That should show us. How seriously God takes purity. Within his church. That's why it says confess your sin. One to another. You're not going to be sinless guys. But boy, that's why the church is here, to hold each other accountable to the word of God. And God is not pleased when we don't do that. They sinned, and as a direct result, they suffered. And then there's other times that, like a loving father, God brings suffering into our lives to correct a sinful behavior. Just as any good earthly father disciplines his child if you don't discipline your child you are a terrible father if little johnny gets everything he wants you are not a good dad you might have a happy child for now but there's trouble coming you're going to bring a lot bring a, a lot of suffering upon yourself any good loving father disciplines his child god disciplines his children At times. So, some suffering is due to individual sin. There's no way around that. But it's not as simple as that. And we could never, ever, ever look at a sufferer and draw the conclusion that he must have sinned to cause this. That should never, ever be the conclusion you draw. It may very well be true. But that's not our role. Guys, that's not our role to point fingers. And God doesn't allow for it here. Jesus says here in John 9 that this man's sin or his parents' sin has nothing to do with him being born blind. He says it. In this case, nothing to do with it. Sin had nothing to do with this man being born blind. And then he gives the purpose of the blindness. And this is the foundational purpose for us to remember. He says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, God does not often reveal the the causes of of suffering. Why did this happen Uh, we often for some reason we want so badly don't we don't we want to know so badly the exact cause like why god did this happen why did this happen why are you doing this to me god why are you allowing this god we think if we if we could just know that specific reason that specific cause if if we could know that then somehow it would make the suffering all better But would it? Is that even rational? Is it even rational for us to say, why, God, are you doing this? Not really rational to think that that would help anything. If I knew the exact cause of this. And God doesn't usually reveal the exact cause of the suffering, but instead he promises that there is some Purpose in the suffering that will bring him glory. This man was born blind so that the works of God would be made manifest through his life. In other words, this man was born blind so that God could get glory. And we'll see in this story how God gets his glory through this man And it's a wonderful, happy story. But that is the purpose given by Jesus for His suffering. Now that explanation only works for you if the number one priority in your life is to worship God above everything else. That's the only way that can be a satisfactory answer. Right. It will be an insufficient answer for suffering if you have no desire to see God glorified. Who cares if God is glorified if I am suffering? If that's your attitude, I I submit to you this explanation that Jesus gives. It leaves you a little empty. It's insufficient. It will be insufficient if you have a very me-centered worldview. And God is here to please me. And everything in life should be to please me. As opposed to to truly a God-centered worldview. God's purpose in suffering is to bring glory to God which is always, listen to this, it is always what is best for us. It is always what is best for His children. That is why His love for us is so foundational for us in the midst of suffering. We have a God who has set certain standards for purity that if we we walk in them, we will have life and peace and joy. Even in the midst of suffering. But instead we have chosen to rebel against His ways. In favor of our own selfish desires from the very beginning. And yet in our sin, He has chosen to die for us. To pay for our sin which separates us from Him. And then when we believe and repent. Put our trust in Him. He makes his dwelling within us. To help us walk in his ways of life. And to fellowship with us in the midst of suffering. 1 John 3, 1, it says, What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. That's not possible without the cross. And what he asks of us and commands of us is that We receive his love and his sacrifice, and we worship him alone as Savior and Lord. That's it. That's what he requires of us. He has paid it all. He requires submission to that. How could this God who has done this for us not deserve all glory and honor and praise how could he not how could you not want that this morning if he has done that for us if he has suffered on the cross for us how could we not want him to receive all glory how could our lives not be about him how could that not be the mission of our lives guys how could we be so self-centered When there's this love available to us that has been displayed in the worst suffering you can imagine. And so when Jesus says that suffering is so that the works of God should be revealed in him, we ought to think of what a privilege it is That God might choose my suffering to bring Him glory. That's tough though, right? I mean, you have to have that worldview we just talked about. He has to be above all for you. Which is what the Bible screams to us, right? You will not find life and peace and joy anywhere else unless He is first. And if He is first, suffering makes sense. Not only does suffering make sense, but suffering is a privilege for us. If our desire for the glory of God takes first place, then we can bear great suffering through His power that, that he might receive glory. That doesn't mean we've just got to smile all the time. I'm suffering. I'm suffering again. Okay that, that's not what that means. But it does mean that we can hold fast to a hope that is far greater than whatever we could suffer on this earth. As bad as it can get sometimes, as bad as the suffering can get, and it can get bad, I understand. But as bad as it can get, guys, we can have a hope that there is something far greater in glory that is coming for us. And that is what we can hold fast to in the suffering. And we also know that as Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that all things work together for good. For we who love God and who are the called to according to his purpose. And the next verse is the key about what the good he is working in us actually is because you cannot leave it there. Because then you decide to decide what good is. You make your own definition of what good is. And good is just like happiness, right? Well, the Bible says that all things are supposed to work for my good, so why am I not happy? Well, that's not what it says. It doesn't say you're always going to be happy. Here's what the next verse says. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. To be conformed to the image of His Son. There it is. That is the good. And we've said this before. I say this every time I teach on suffering because I think it's so foundational for us. That is the good that He is working in you and in me that we might be conformed to His image. Because that is where we find true life. And that is where He will receive the most glory. Out of us. See God's number one concern for us. Is not removing. Every ounce of temporary. Light and momentary. As the apostles call it. Suffering. That's just not his number one goal. If that's what you think his number one goal is. Then your Christianity is very me centered. That's not his goal guys. If you make that your goal. I don't have hope for you in suffering. His concern is making us like Jesus. Whatever it takes. And getting us to think eternally. To those things that we can never lose. You understand you you can never lose heaven if you're in Christ. You can never lose heaven if you're in Christ. I hope that's comforting to you this morning. You can never lose that perfection that is coming for you if you're in Christ. And God's goal is that that is our focus. Eternity. Where there will be no more suffering. You see, his ultimate goal is for you to be happy. It just won't be here, potentially. Heaven will be every moment of happiness. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I think there will be some tears there, probably. Maybe some regret. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But heaven is paradise. It's no more suffering, guys. And sometimes our lives are really so good that we don't long for that. And as believers, guys, we should long for that. No more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more losing a loved one. We do not have to mourn as the pagans mourn. We will mourn, right? We will mourn in the midst of suffering, but we don't have to mourn as those who have no hope. Because we have incredible hope. He has purpose in our suffering, and it's a comfort, it's a comfort to know that our suffering means something to God. You see, it's not just meaningless. In fact, Christianity is the only world view that, that, that you can say that. Suffering is meaningless otherwise. But it has meaning in Christ. It's not needless. It's not without purpose. It's only in Christ that that's true. And it's only in Christ that we have that Advocate. Who will show compassion on us. Who will bear through the suffering with us. In Him, suffering finds its purpose. To make us more like Him. And to work the works of God in us. Now let's look at Christ's power in suffering. I'm going to come back to what Jesus says here. But the next thing Jesus does is He spits on the ground. And makes clay with saliva to put on this man's eyes. That's really gross. I submit to you. Uh, that's kind of strange, Jesus. He tells them to go wash, and, and after He goes and washes, He's healed. He can see. Now, three times in the Gospels, um, Jesus uses this method with the saliva thing. I, why does He do that? Well, there are dissertations. You may go, want to go read one of them about why that is. Why does He use the saliva thing? I don't know. And I'm comfortable with just telling you that's not the point. Let's not worry about the saliva thing. Okay, it's gross. I mean, it's the the method Jesus chose three times. But that's not the point. Doesn't matter why he used whatever method he wanted to use. But the man is healed. And as much as the Pharisees will try to deny this miracle, and we'll see that next week, they just can't. They can't deny this miracle. Jesus has made this man who has never seen an ounce of color see completely. I wonder what that moment was like for him. He's never seen anything. And then, boom, I can see. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what that's like spiritually, that way, man. I've never seen clearly, and then, boom, Christ saves me. And suddenly things make sense. Doesn't mean I don't suffer, but suddenly things make sense. Jesus chooses to heal in this story so that the works of God might be revealed in this man. And it's through his healing that this man comes to salvation, as we'll see. And many others come to salvation, and potentially even some of the Pharisees come to salvation. God is glorified. Through this man's suffering and Jesus' healing of his suffering. But this is not always the case. Let's consider another example. And you know this example. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul writing. And he says this in verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure. I don't know what that is. It's just a thorn in the flesh. I don't know. Again, go read some dissertations. You can probably find some good guesses. I don't know what it is. But Paul was given this thorn in the flesh says in verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in. In infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says he begged God three times. Please, God, take this away from me. And God said no. he did not take it away from Paul and said, he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And he gives the same reason that Jesus gave in John 9, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say that he'll glory in it that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Does that sound familiar? That the works of God might be revealed in him. Same statement about God displaying his power and his glory, his works, but two drastically different outcomes. In John 9, healing. Boy, that's what we want! Healing. That God used for his glory and for his child. In 2 Corinthians, no healing. No relief of suffering that God used for his glory and for his child. And we see in the New Testament that often it is the maintained suffering. Through the lives of the apostles and even through their death, remember. Their deaths that God uses for His glory. Not their healing. There are some times of deliverance in the New Testament. There are some times of wonderful healing. But you guys know the end for the apostles, right? Murdered. Murdered for their faith in Christ. Not delivered ultimately. Sometimes our good and His glory is best revealed through healing or relief of suffering. And we should pray for that healing, okay? We should pray for it. Pray for that healing. But other times, our good and His glory is best revealed Through continuing to suffer. And we must leave that up to him. Either way, he promises that his power will be made manifest in us if we embrace him. See, the man had to obey what Jesus said. Or he would not. Have been healed. He would still be blind. Paul had to receive this grace that Jesus is talking about. Or he would have just become miserable and shook his fist at God. And why, God, are you doing this to me? Because Paul embraced the grace offered through suffering. God has changed the hearts of millions through his suffering. God has expanded his kingdom greatly through Paul's suffering. And because the man obeyed, God has changed the hearts of millions through his healing. God's power and God's goodness is displayed in suffering one way or the other. We don't decide which way. He is sovereign over that. We must trust him. We must make it our aim to please him. Otherwise you won't find hope in suffering. There is no hope in suffering apart from Christ. And apart from a Christ centered mindset. Had Paul not trusted the Lord through his suffering, I'm not sure God would have used him to write all the things that he did. Things like the book of Philippians, which he writes from prison. Right? Where he says, I'm crucified with Christ. He says, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance. He writes that his Chief source of joy and his goal was to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection and to know what's the next part? The fellowship of his suffering. That was Paul's chief goal. I want to know him more. I want to know Jesus more. Even his suffering. Where do you get that kind of strength? It is only through learning to lean on the Savior through suffering, in the midst of suffering, that we get this grace and this strength. And guess what? You get it in the exact moment that you need it. I was pondering. I was struggling writing the sermon, thinking about my wife, honestly. <laughs> and I told her this later. I was just thinking about losing her and what what I might do. I mean, you know. And I know I would never leave Christ but I'm just I just I don't know how it would I be the best representative of Christ if I lost her was just kind of tearing me up like I don't know and then I realized that I, I don't have grace this day to lose my wife maybe later this day I will hopefully that's not the case But you don't have grace before the suffering comes to go through the suffering. You have the grace when the suffering hits. We prepare ourselves and we make sure Christ is our aim. And then when the suffering hits is when the comfort comes. When the grace comes. And it's enough. It is enough if we will lean into him we don't have the grace until we need the grace and at that very moment we find that he's so gracious to us grace sufficient for every moment every trial And many times, many times the strength he gives to a person through continued suffering is the greatest display of his power. Right? When you see someone suffer through something like the loss of a spouse, and you see them do it well, you see them lean on God's grace, you think, wow, there's something in her. Wow, there is something life-changing in her. How does she carry on? How is she thankful and joyful in these moments? Let us not forsake what God can do, even if He doesn't deliver from the, sur- from the suffering. And finally, let's look at our role in suffering. Let's look at it quickly. We've already alluded to it and, and such a simple statement, but here's the key for us. In verse 7. He went and washed and came back seeing. This man simply obeyed Jesus. Jesus said go and wash in the pool. And he did. So simple. Yet that was the key to God showing his great power. In the midst of his suffering. Let me give you three simple truths about our role. And suffering. First of all, draw near to Him. Draw near to Him, would you? Come to Him through prayer, through study of the Word. If you're trying to go through suffering as a Christian without the Word of God, what do you think is going to happen? How would you expect Him to comfort you? Exactly. When we ignore His very Word. When our only prayer is, why me? What do you expect? Draw near to Him. Study the Word. Fellowship with His church. Even though the church, like we talked about, doesn't always know the best words to say. Draw near to Him and be honest with Him. Read Psalm 13 this week. In, in that psalm, the writer is suffering. And he's just crying out honestly to the Lord. You see this is a theme in the psalms. Verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? Will you forgive me? How, how long will you hide your face from me? He's drawing near to God. In his distress. In his suffering. And he's doing it with honesty. Secondly, hold fast to his promises. Draw near to him. Hold fast to his promises. And this isn't a perfect list. And it's not a complete list probably. But hold fast to his promises. What God's word says is true. Say that with me. What. God's Word says is true. What God's Word says is true. His promises of salvation and of eternity and of not having to mourn in the same way that the world does because of this great and sure hope that we have. His promises of comfort. Take Him at His Word. That's what the psalmist does, in fact, later in, in Psalm 13 and verses Five and six. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Remember his compassion that we talked about. Remember his nearness that we talked about. Remember his promises. And don't be deceived into thinking that anything can separate you From these promises, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ if you're in Christ. And then finally, obey. That's what this guy did. Obey. He simply obeyed the next step and he moved forward. Paul did the same thing. He just continued to obey. He didn't understand why he got that thorn in the flesh. But he obeyed the word of God. He was ready to be used by God, and he was. Both of these men were. Jesus is the light of the world who illuminates that next step in our suffering. He often does that through his word. Don't despise his word. And he asked us to obey. Let's go back to what Jesus said in verse 4. We, that's what the oldest manuscripts say, yours may say I, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The, The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus invites the disciples in on his work. And I believe he invites us as well. We must work the works of God while we can. Jesus is referring to his his there's going to come a time when he's going to be killed and and glorified and ascend back into heaven. And that time is coming, but he says, "While we can, let's make most of the time." And even in suffering, let's make most of the time. How can God use this for his glory? For the building of his kingdom? It hurts, it's painful. And it's okay. It's okay to mourn but also ask Lord how do you want to use this in my life how do you want to use this in my life Lord I'm ready to be used by you or that takes a heart that loves the Lord more than we love our comfort and that is hard I want to close with this quote who I've often often quoted from uh, Johnny Erickson who many of you probably know and I've mentioned several times. But she's been a quadriplegic since 1967. She had an accident and the accident obviously changed her life physically um, but also opened her eyes spiritually to Christ and she's been a faithful follower um, and very public about her suffering and, and God has not healed her. God has not healed her physically. And so here's a quote from her She says, God is good, not because he gives us answers. But because he gives us himself. God is good, not not because he's always got an answer for us to why. Why me, God? He doesn't always give us answers. But man, he's good because he's given us himself. Don't forsake him this morning. That is your anchor in suffering. He has given us Himself. She talks about this greater healing, this deeper healing, and it's knowing Christ more and more and more. It's that healing that He gives us from sin. That is the ultimate healing in our lives. We don't always have to have a perfect answer as to why we're experiencing suffering. Suffering. We don't always have that answer, but we do have a loving Savior who has power over all of it and who is near to us. He's in the midst of our suffering. And he's given himself for us. He wants us to know him more and more. How could we ask for more than that? God wants to know you this morning. I'm going to ask Drew if he'll come um, as we close If you're here this morning and you need to know Him personally, you need a relationship with Him. You need to come to Him for salvation. I want to invite you to come. It's simple, but it's not easy. He asks that we believe He is who He says He is in His Word. And He says to repent of our sins. And to surrender our lives to His ways. That is the only place you will find life. And the only place you will find strength through suffering. He doesn't promise that He's going to just take us around the suffering. He's going to take the suffering away. But He does promise that He is the only strength in suffering. And He gives that to us. Come to Him today. And if you're suffering this morning, there's so much more that God's word says about suffering. Like a lot. I would ask you to go reread that, that passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Read all of the book of Philippians. Uh, read 1 Peter 1. Read James 1. Um, read the book of, jo- of Job. There's so much. We've we barely scratched the surface. This morning on suffering, but I pray that you're comforted with Christ's compassion, with his purpose in suffering, with his power through our suffering. I know that 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 suffering doesn't feel like any sort of privilege when you're in the midst of it. But it is an opportunity that God will use for his glory and for your good. And I walk with you every step of the way. I hope that his word has been a comfort to you this morning. Let's, let's bow our heads as we close. and I want to give you a few moments to do um, what you need to do with Jesus. Maybe you just need to cry out with, to him honestly. And say, Lord, I don't understand the suffering in my life right now. But I just, I want to submit it to you. I want to be obedient in it and through it. I want you to use me through it. Will you use me through it? Will there be anybody this morning that you know, nobody's looking around? Um, anybody this morning would say, I, "I'm just I'm going through a period of suffering right now. I need prayer." might want to lift your hand? Yeah, I see hands. Several hands. I'm just going through a period of suffering right now and I need the church to come around me. I want to ask you church to to pray for those hands that were lifted this morning just for that comfort for that peace for that endurance through suffering. Let's lift our brothers and sisters up this morning. That's what we do as the church. Let's lift them up to the one who can bring that peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for that peace for you all this morning. For that joy through the trial. For that endurance. Maybe you're not suffering this morning and uh, maybe this one is one you just need to keep in the bank here because it's coming. The times of suffering will come. Remember. Remember these words. Remember these words when it comes. Let's cling to Jesus. If you need to come to Him for salvation this morning, you do that through repentance of your sin. You just tell Him, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin. Will you please forgive me? And He will. He promises He will because He has paid for your sin on the cross. Repent of your sin and lay your life down to Him. surrender to Him this morning. And trust There's no magic in any words. Just repent and trust. Would there be anybody this morning who would say, I, I need to do that? you Would be willing to lift your hand and say, I need to give my life to Christ today for the first time? Even if you're not raising your hand, there's still time to do that right now. As we move into this song, maybe you just need to stay seated and spend some time with the Lord. And, and maybe maybe that's not you this morning, but you still just need to stay seated and, and just spend time with the Lord. And that's okay. Maybe you, you see a sufferer this morning in this room during this next song and you just want to go and hug them. Do it. Let's be there, church, for each other in the suffering. Turn it over to Drew as we, we close and move into this time of invitation.